The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. I'd like to invite you to open the scriptures with me to the book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles, you can find that on page 909 in the New Testament, just after the Gospel of John. Come with me to the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, and as you're turning there to the book of Acts, we have been spending our summer uh, in the Apostles' Creed. And as uh, we've mapped it out, Lord willing, we will be in the Apostles' Creed uh, yet into the fall. Uh, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at various scriptures uh, to unpack each line and article of the Apostles' Creed in order to articulate and explain and apply what it is that we believe as a Christian church. So uh, we are, of course, an evangelical Presbyterian church, a Reformed church. Nevertheless, we are a Christian church. And as a Christian church, we believe the content of the Apostles' Creed, which unites us together with Christian churches of every stripe across the globe. As we go through the Apostles' Creed, we've been going section by section, article by article. We're still in the middle portion dealing with the person and work of Christ, but uh, today we come to the ascension of Jesus. And we've already confessed it together in the Apostles' Creed. We have said together, I believe in Jesus Christ who ascended into heaven. And that's what we're thinking about this morning. Jesus Christ who ascended into heaven. Now, uh, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but I would venture to guess that uh, if the ascension was left out of the creed, we might not notice. If the ascension was left out of the creed, we might not notice. If it went right from resurrection to heavenly reign, we would probably just read over that and, and, and think, yeah, that's, that's fine. I say that because the ascension really doesn't get anywhere near the attention that it deserves. Now, that may be because the narrative detail of the ascension in the New Testament is, is very minimal compared to the, the chapters and chapters of the personal work of Jesus. Uh, nevertheless, the ascension is a very essential aspect of who Jesus is is because it provides the necessary link to him being on earth and being in heaven and there one day to return, but he has to get to where he's coming from in his return, and he gets there in the ascension. That's what we're thinking about today. So, I'm going to say again and again and again, where is Jesus? How did he get there? Where is Jesus? How did he get there? And of a special importance for us today is, what does it matter? Like, what does the ascension of Jesus Christ matter to you and to your family? That's, I want us to be able to walk away today with a very clear sense of the ascension of Christ and its significance as a unique aspect of the person and work of Jesus. So, you're in the book of Acts. Uh, I'm going to let you know also that I'm going to read from Luke 24 as well. So, our, our preaching text is Acts 1. But if you've got a finger in Luke 24, which is to the left of the book of Acts, uh, you will be ahead. So, I'm going to first read from the book of Acts, and then I'm going to read from the book of Luke. Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, though, so we'll be in good company of the same author and, of course, the divine author. So, in light of that, let me pray. I'll ask God's blessing upon his word, and then we'll read from the book of Acts and the book of Luke. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that you have given to us the scriptures where you reveal yourself to us, and most especially, your Son, our Savior, your divine Messiah. And we pray now that as we 
consider his leaving this world and ascending into heaven, that our, that our thoughts would be much drawn out to the thoughtful reflection of who Jesus is, where he is, how he got there, and what it matters for us. So, Lord, as we read the scriptures, would you send your spirit upon us to illuminate our minds that we might understand, that we might grow and worship even as we listen now to the reading and proclamation of your word we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And now hear God's word, Luke, writing the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1 at verse 6. Acts chapter 1 verse 6. This is the word of God. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Also from the Gospel according to Luke, the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, at verse 50. Luke 24, verse 50 says, Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of God abides forever. Uh, and we'll be in both of these locations, but primarily in the book of Acts. If you want to keep your finger in both, but keep your Bible primarily open in uh, Acts 1, you'll be in just the right place. So, the ascension. The ascension. Now, what Luke wants us to understand in both accounts, both in his gospel account and in the book of Acts, is that the ascension of Jesus Christ, just like his resurrection, was a visible, public act seen by eyewitnesses. That this was a real historical event that happened to the real historical Jesus. That is to say that Jesus' departure from this world was not hidden and was not private. Think about it. If the ascension was a private act, then everybody would have just speculated that Jesus had just returned to the grave, right? Where did Jesus go? He died. That's what people would say about it. But to keep that from being the narrative, oh, yeah, Jesus, that whole resurrection business, it was just a sham. He died, went back to the grave. He's really dead this time. No, no, no. The opponents of Jesus could not say that because Jesus ascended back into heaven. He did not return back to the grave. And the Christian church believes what the Bible teaches, that Jesus was raised for the dead, remained on earth for 40 days, and then returned into heaven in an exalted ascension. This is what we believe in the Christian church. So, where is Jesus? Answer, he is in heaven. How did Jesus get there? Answer, he ascended. But how does all that work? Because we need to be more specific than that because 
I could certainly understand that it would be exactly at this juncture that a, a skeptic or a scoffer would misunderstand all of these things. Let's be very clear. We're not saying that Jesus is out there somewhere in outer space, right? Like the first astronaut Jesus type of thing. That's not what we're, that's not what we're saying about Jesus. I could see how some people might think that that, that sounds more like Peter Pan and Neverland, right? What, what is it? Like second star from the right on straight on till morning is where Jesus went as he ascended into heaven to Neverland. No, no, no. That's not what we mean. It was the angels, actually, in the book of Acts. It's interesting that it doesn't say that they're angels. It says they're men clothed in white, speaking to the disciples. But the angels told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, Men of Galilee, what are you standing here looking at? Why do you stand here looking into heaven as if you're going to, like, squint harder and see him? Like, if you release a balloon and try to watch it as it goes and goes. And I think I can still see it. I think I can still see it. It's not like the disciples were just like... The angel said, this Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Take your eyes off of the skies, because, disciples, there's work to do. But the whole, maybe we should say, metaphysics of the ascension, and how he went up, and, and why he went up, that matters, doesn't it? To say that Jesus was, in the words of the angels, taken up from you into heaven, in verse 11, means that he traveled vertically, that he ascended, that the Son of God in the flesh, the incarnate second person of the Trinity, in his true humanity, was raised visibly in the sight of the disciples who saw Jesus go from the earth into the skies, in the clouds, and then disappear. That's what we mean when we say he ascended. And think about it. When Jesus was born, he was born as he descended by way of incarnation and the angels sang about the birth of the king. And as Jesus exits this world in royal ascension, the angels attend to witness that the king who has come to you is the king who has gone to heaven there to reign on heaven's throne. We'll talk about that next week, Lord willing. But his birth and his ascension communicate the same reality. The king has come. The king has returned to his place of royal dominion is what the ascension is saying. That Christ is exalted as he is literally lifted up there to reign in heaven as king over his kingdom. And that's maybe more helpful, but I think we can take it another layer down as we get more specific, because you may be asking this question, I certainly have this past week, as I think about the ascension. Where is heaven? Like if it has an address, like, where is heaven? And as we think about that, you know, there's an answer, of course, but we should kind of make our way through that. The way the Bible uses the word heaven, it is usually in reference to one of three things. Sometimes the word heaven or heavens is used to describe the sky, right? Look up into the heavens and see you know, the stars and all of their hosts, etc. Like, for example, in Genesis 1, 14, 
God said, let there be light in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. The sky, right? The light, the sun, the moon, the stars. The heavens, generally with reference to the skies, or the Bible oftentimes, especially the prophets, will refer to signs in the heavens, namely visible things that you can look at and, and have a, a word of assurance or perhaps tremble at the sight of a coming judgment. The signs in the heavens in general reference to the skies. That's the first sense that the Bible sometimes uses the word heavens. The second way that the Bible uses the word heaven or heavens is with reference to the, the realm that exists beyond the first sense of the word. That there is the heavens and then there is the heavens above the heavens. There is the outer heavens, above the skies, if you will. Like, for example, in Psalm 103, verse 11, as heaven is described as high above the earth. Not in the immediate stratosphere of the earth, but rather exterior to it. For example, when God looks down in Genesis chapter 11 on the scene of the Tower of Babel, he says, come, let us go down. So it is this sense of extreme elevation from which God descends to the earth, or John in the book of Revelation is told in the spirit to come up here. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 talks about being caught up to the third heaven, like the highest level of heaven as if there are tears. And then it is this reference generally to the idea of, of, of sky beyond the skies or outer, beyond, beyond the galaxies. Right? If you start thinking that we're getting a little sci-fi in this. So there is the idea of the firmament, the skies, and then there is beyond that. And then there is this third sense where heaven refers to the place where God dwells. And you might say, well, that's what I had in mind to begin with, right? But the Bible uses the word heavens to describe these various things. Heaven is where God is said to dwell. For example, Moses prays in Deuteronomy 26 that God would look down from his holy habitation, his holy dwelling in heaven, to look upon the earth. And Solomon prays in 2 Chronicles 6, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. Right? So think about this, that because God is a spirit, God is not contained in a location. So, so you shouldn't think about heaven in this sense as a container that holds the being of God. But heaven is rather the place where God dwells, but it doesn't contain him, as if to say that God has limits because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He is in heaven, and that's where he dwells, and he is also on the earth as well. But heaven is said to be where God dwells. This might be difficult to wrap our minds around, this idea of a non-container view of heaven, but, but think about it. Heaven, in this sense of the place where God dwells, is not emphasizing a physical space in relationship to other spaces or places, but rather, heaven, in the sense of God's dwelling, is referencing this unique sense of God's presence. So it is not the case that there is a heaven and God is in heaven, but rather that there is a God and where he is, there there is heaven. You follow? God is not bound by heaven. Heaven is where God dwells. And God dwells in heaven, but is not contained by the heavens. So we should ask, where is Jesus? And the answer is, of course, 
heaven. You say, good grief, you've said that three times already, right? But as we'll follow in the Apostles' Creed and, of course, in the Scriptures as well, if we ask the question, where is Jesus, and we're expecting to get an address or an elevation with respect to the atmosphere, the answer to the question, where is Jesus, is he is in heaven at the Father's right hand. And if someone says, okay, fine, but where's the Father's right hand? The answer is what? Where Jesus is. And you say, that, that's unsatisfying. That doesn't give me an address or a location. And the answer to that question is, your mind couldn't handle it if you got it. Where is Jesus? He's at the Father's right hand in heaven. Where is the Father's right hand in heaven? Where Jesus is. The Bible does not give us the address, the location of heaven, and I think that that's important. And even though oftentimes the modern evangelical church does not understand this, the Bible doesn't give us this kind of information about heaven in order to avoid unnecessary speculation about the location and interest in it. God does not emphasize that much information about heaven. Why? Because what is the most and only important thing you need to know about heaven? It's where Jesus is. That's what you need to know. And if you needed to know something else, God would tell you. But because he doesn't, you don't. Heaven is where Jesus is. So, the church confesses, we believe in the ascension. Forty days after his resurrection, the Lord physically ascended into heaven with his real, true humanity. So, that's what we mean. Now, let's ask, so what? What does it matter? We're very practical about this. What does the ascension matter to you, to your family, to us as a church? What's the big deal about the ascension? Does it matter to have an ascended Savior? The answer is, yes, it matters. And I have four reasons why it matters. There could be more. One, Jesus ascends to heaven in order to confirm his saving work. Jesus ascends to heaven in order to confirm his saving work. Jesus comes to earth and he says, I've come to do the Father's will. The ascension means that he has done his job. Maybe in your vocation, you like to think of the idea of you, you go on vacation, you want a clean desk, right? So that you come back to a clean desk. Jesus has, metaphorically speaking, a clean desk. He has done everything that the Father has sent him to do on the earth and ascends as confirmation that his job is complete. The Father has regarded the work of His Son as sufficient and therefore raised Him, causes Him to ascend up into heaven, the heavenly glory, as we see Jesus in various aspects in the New Testament. For example, at His baptism, at the Mount of Transfiguration, and here at the Ascension, the Father is declaring over His Son, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. He's done a good job. Jesus ascends to confirm his saving work. I want you to think about that reality. Jesus' work worked. And he has gone into heaven. Loved one, listen to me very carefully. 
bearing wounds upon his hands that he received because he has borne your sin. And your sin is forgiven in Jesus Christ. And Jesus ascends to heaven with the scars as evidence that it's done, that it worked, that he has confirmed his messianic role as Savior, and because Jesus has ascended to heaven and confirms his work, it means you and I can have assurance. Your Savior is in heaven as your Savior because his work worked. That's the first reason why the ascension matters. All of your assurance is wrapped up in it. Secondly, Jesus ascends to heaven in order to send the Holy Spirit to the church. Jesus goes to heaven in order that the Father and the Son might send the Spirit. Now, Jesus says in John 16, before he is tried and executed unjustly, he's with the disciples in the upper room, and Jesus told his disciples, you know, it's better that I go. It's to your advantage, Jesus says in John 16, that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you. The Holy Spirit will not come to you. So, in the book of Acts, in chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. But then in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost happens, and Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to the church. And by the Holy Spirit, the church is endowed with power and benefits and gifts and unity. By virtue of the Holy Spirit coming to the church, we understand that Jesus is dwelling with us because he has sent his Spirit to be with us. That because Jesus has gone to heaven and he has sent his Spirit, it means that when he said in Matthew 28, 20, I'm with you always, he wasn't lying. He said, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And even though Jesus has physically ascended to heaven by sending his spirit, he is with us by virtue of his spirit, mediating his presence to all the church and all Christian believers so that if you are a Christian, it means that Jesus is with you because his spirit has come. Now, think about it this way. We refer to Jesus as Emmanuel. God with us. The Holy Spirit means that Christ is with us. You cannot reach out and touch Jesus as Jesus invited the disciples to do when he first appeared to them. You can't reach out and touch the physicality of Jesus' true body, but that doesn't mean he's not with you by his Spirit, which is dwelling in you and among you and among the church always. Listen very carefully. When Jesus says, I am with you always, it means that Jesus Christ, your Savior, King, and Lord, is with you at home. He is with you at work. He is with you when you're socializing with your friends. He's with you, thank God, when you are driving your car. He is with you as you travel. He is with you wherever you go and whatever you do. Jesus is with you. Though ascended to heaven's glory, by sending his Spirit, he is with you. Jesus ascends to send his Spirit to more powerfully advance his kingdom, to more wonderfully distribute his gifts, to more assuredly confirm his promises. That's the second reason why it's a wonderful thing to have ascended Savior. Third, Jesus ascends in order that one day he might descend again. 
Jesus ascends in order to return. Look again at Acts chapter 1. Now, we can't say too much about this because, do you notice, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about this, and Jesus in his earthly ministry even said, I don't know the answers to all of your questions about when I'm returning and the timing and all the rest. The disciples in Acts chapter 1, especially verse 6, the disciples said, okay, Jesus, you've been raised from the dead. Does this mean that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Does this mean that you are going to set up your messianic kingdom here on earth, and we as the Jews are going to overthrow the Roman Empire, and we are going to have earthly dominion and earthly glory and earthly might and earthly power? That's what they had on their mind. And Jesus answers the question they didn't ask but should have. Isn't it fascinating? Jesus doesn't answer their question at all because they're asking the wrong question. They said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. The Father has fixed by his own authority. Meaning, disciples, it's not for you to worry about what's next in terms of what happens after I go. What's next for you is to focus on the mission of the kingdom here on earth that I will return and consummate. See, Jesus has something bigger in mind than an earthly kingdom. He has a spiritual heavenly kingdom that he has in mind, that he is ascending to heaven's throne and there to reign over a kingdom of heaven that has invaded earth and has taken up residency in the hearts of all those who trust Jesus. And one day, that spiritual kingdom that exists here on earth will be drawn together with heaven and earth and there will be a new heavens and a new earth in full dwelling because what the disciples had in mind was an earthly kingdom. Jesus says, no, it's a heavenly kingdom, but one day the heavenly and earthly will be brought together. What does this mean? It means that Jesus will come again. It means that as he ascended with the clouds, so the Bible says in Revelations 1.17, that he will come again with the clouds, and every eye will see and behold him and bow down. And that what is most especially true for Christian believers by his ascension is that Jesus is already fulfilling a promise that he has made to you. Do you remember it in John chapter 14? He says to the disciples, I'm going to go. And I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come and bring you to the place that I have prepared. And that's what Jesus is doing now in heaven preparing that place so that when heaven and earth are joined together, we will dwell with him. So the third reason was Jesus ascends in order to descend. And fourthly and finally, Jesus ascends in order to establish your heavenly citizenship. Jesus ascends from this earth to heaven to establish your heavenly citizenship. So the way the Apostle Paul loves to speak about Christian believers is that he loves to speak about you as a Christian in relationship to Jesus as someone who is united by faith to Christ. That you by faith are joined to Jesus. That the things that are true of Jesus are true of you because you're in union with him. So for example, when Jesus died, you died in your sins. When Jesus rose from the grave, you rose in him by faith to new life. It's true of the ascension, therefore. 
that when Jesus ascended into heaven on your behalf as your mediator, you as a Christian ascended with him. Do you follow that? That as Jesus ascends to heaven, so do you by faith. What that means is what Paul says in Colossians 3, that our life is hid with Christ. In Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, the Apostle Paul says that you, as a Christian, are already seated in heavenly places with Jesus. Because he has ascended, you have ascended with him, and you sit, the Apostle Paul says, in those heavenly places with Jesus. As a Christian believer, you are a member of the household of God. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that you are a living stone in the heavenly temple. By faith union with Jesus Christ, as he is ascended, there is a real true spiritual sense in which we are in heaven with Christ as well. That's why Paul says in Philippians 4 that we, though earthly citizens, have our citizenship in heaven. Very clearly, Christian believer, because Jesus has ascended, you are a citizen of heaven. Not bad. Pretty good, I'd say. Why do you need to know that? Why do you, as a Christian, need to have the confirmation of your soul that you are a citizen in heaven, ascended to highest heavens with Jesus. You need to know it all of the time, don't you? When life is hard, when life is joyful, and everything in between, your life as a Christian, the Bible says, is so hidden within Christ that there is no division between Jesus and you, and you are united to him. You are ascended in the ascended Christ. Take that home with you, would you? And say it to yourself on Monday when you're having a rotten start to your week, right? Say it to yourself on Wednesday when everything's falling apart. Say it to yourself on Friday when you're waiting to come back to church on Sunday so you can hear the gospel said to you again, you are forgiven, you are forgiven, you are forgiven for sure. Why is that true? Because you are ascended in Christ, your ascended Savior. Christ is in heaven, seated above all rulers and authorities, there to reign. And dear friends, when we are here and do this thing that we do called being in church, heaven and earth get a little bit closer. Because Christ mediates his presence to us by his spirit as we gather, as we pray, as we sing, as we enjoy each other's fellowship, as we shake each other's hands and say, I'm glad to see you, as we sit next to each other in church, as we go and as we gather, we are limiting the distance between heaven and earth because it's anticipation of the day when there will be no distance left between heaven and earth and it will all be the presence of God with his people. And God will say, you are my people. And we will say, you are our God. And that is all contained in this beautiful reality of the ascension. So, let's land the plane now, shall we? The ascension of Christ is a glorious truth. And do you remember, back in Luke 24, this detail isn't in Acts chapter 1, but that 
that as Jesus went, it, it explicitly says that he lifted up his hands. Why does he do that? He lifts up his hands as a benediction, a departing blessing. He is leaving. They are going out into the world. He lifts up his hands and says, I bless you. Christian, you come to church on the Lord's Day, heaven and earth are touching each other, and you go out with that blessing that you are going out into a world that is often difficult, often confusion, confusing, filled with strife. People hate each other for undue reasons. There is so much tension in the world, it makes you sick, doesn't it? You go in the name of your ascended Savior to know that your true citizenship is not in this world, but in heaven. What a beautiful thing it is to be a Christian. What a wonderful thing it is to have an ascended Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice in your word and in your gospel. We ask that as we believe that Jesus Christ is ascended, that we too would in our hearts and in our minds continually ascend to heaven there to dwell with our Savior who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.